How much should Jet starters play in the preseason? Plus actual Tyler Conklin praise on this podcast. That's ahead today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets. Your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome. This is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, August 16th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangreenNation.com. Thanking you for making the show your first listener, first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, give it a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out and help other Jets fans find the show. Well, as I've told you the last couple of days, I'm in Europe this week and then most of next week. Today, we're going to chat with my good friend Michael Nania of JetsXFactor.com. We recorded a discussion about the Jets in the preseason and expectations for 2023 before I left back when I was in the States. So if you're watching on YouTube, you get to see the familiar home background. It was a great discussion. So let's jump into my chat with Michael. And joining me today is my good friend, Michael Nania. He's with JetsXFactor.com, an excellent website that covers the New York Jets. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Always great to come back. So we're in the preseason right now, and it feels like Robert Sala is not really that focused on playing the starters. So I guess that's where we'll begin right now, because I'm interested in your take on this. I'm going to give my take. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to influence you at all, so... Where, how how much do you think the starters should play in the preseason? Do you think it's just the type of thing where they should sit out completely, don't even risk injury with Aaron Rodgers, you know, 39-year-old quarterback Aaron Rodgers? Do you think they should work them in a little bit? What are your thoughts on this? I definitely lean towards the side of caution in terms of how often you play your starters in the preseason. Uh, I, I think it's good to get a little bit in. Like in that one game you pick, usually it's, you know, when it was four games, it would be that third game. Now, I believe, is it the second game the teams do it or was it that third game last year when they were still doing it? But uh, there's always that one dress rehearsal game where you go ahead and you give the starters maybe a quarter and a half or the whole first half, something like that. I'm okay with that. Um, I think it's good to get at least a, a few reps in of you know real live football against another opponent just to make sure you're at least a little bit tuned up for the first game. But uh, I do lean to the cautious side because i don't i don't know if i think the reward is worth the risk and especially with aaron Rodgers, i don't think he should play a snap everyone else you know get them the reps for sure but i'm in the camp where i think it would be best to just hold aaron Rodgers out of the preseason completely are you on the same page with that or are you well, think you know, maybe get huge, him some reps i'm actually a huge contrarian on this because i think your opinion is the most popular and I've really changed my mind on this because I used to be like, a, we don't need preseason at all. And my mind's kind of changed on this from a, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that, you know, they didn't have a preseason in 2020. And I actually saw a study that was done that found that there were actually more injuries, a statistically significant amount of injuries greater in 2020 than there were in other seasons. And I think about like the way practices are done now, and you know, maybe like I don't know, even even as recently as I don't know, 15 years ago, there's a lot of hitting that went on in training camp practices, 
And I think about like the early parts of the season these days, yeah. and it feels like the, the early parts of the year are not that crisp, you know, especially in like 80, 90 degree days in September. You see guys cramping up all the time in the second half of games. And I, the way I view it is kind of like there's regular in shape and then there's in football shape. And I almost don't understand like what the point of like the preparation season is now because everybody's coming in in regular great shape, you know, like everybody's coming in in great condition in general. But nobody is in football condition by the start of trade by the end of training camp. So it's almost like this is kind of a waste. And because like these practices are so tame, I don't know if you really get like the I don't know that you really get into rhythm. So I think especially with a tough schedule early in the season, and I understand the risk because like you, you get you're gonna get crushed if like you put Aaron Rodgers out there and he gets hurt. And the other caveat I'll throw out there is uh, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to play, you don't play him because then you, that, that's that's really when you get hurt. So like if Aaron Rodgers is just like, I don't feel like I need this, then then that's one thing. And this, this is like a less a Jets thing than it is just like a general NFL thing. I've really kind of come around to feeling like there'd be a benefit to him, like the offensive line working together to that part of that's Dwayne Brown's got to like get back. But uh, you know, the offensive line working together, like him, like learning, you know, just getting in rhythm with Garrett Wilson a little bit. Like, I, I mean, I don't think I'd play him four quarters in a game, but I actually kind of do see a value to it in a way. Maybe I did not five years ago. Yeah, no, I, I hear that for sure, because there's definitely, as you mentioned, more so than any other sport, I think such a huge difference between what a game feels like and what a practice is like, especially today, because as you mentioned, you know, contact has been really toned down in training camp because teams want to play on the safe side, reduce the injuries for the season. And and even even then, it still doesn't always work, as we know with the Jets. But uh, but yeah, there's definitely such a huge difference and you can't simulate in practice or even in the joint practices that they have coming up, that feeling of standing in the pocket and 300 pound rushers coming to fight and you while you're trying to scan the field and you know, just a feeling of taking those hits is something that by the time a quarterback steps on the field for the first time in the season opener, if you haven't played in the preseason, it's something you haven't felt since the end of the previous season, you know, like seven plus months ago. So, so yeah, I do see where you're coming from. I think that there are benefits to it for sure, but I think I still lean to the cautious side because like, is it enough to be worth the risk of, you know, what happened to Zach Wilson last year, which was you know, inches away from potentially ending his entire season still cost them three games uh, I, I lean to the cautious side because i'm just very afraid of that risk but i definitely see the benefits of it as well yeah and I, you go back to 2019 like adam gase got crushed because they had avery williams and playing deeper into like a preseason game than all the starters and like of all those things adam gase got criticized for i actually thought that that was the one maybe the only thing that like adam gase got too much criticism for because I, I don't I feel like you're you're trying to prepare your guys for the season. You're right. It's such a fine line. And I mean, I can see it the other way. It's not like I'm out here like gonna bash the Jets right. if they, they keep Rogers yeah. down. I, I think the other thing for me is just like the early part of the schedule looks pretty tough. And I like I'm always the person that says like, well, you don't know who's gonna be good, but we actually do know we actually can surmise that a lot of these teams in the early part of the season are gonna be so I want the team playing, you know playing good football like in a good rhythm heading into like the opening part of the season because at least on paper it seems kind of backloaded but that, i mean that's just you know you could go either way on these things so i just wanted i wanted to get your opinion i did not want to influence you in any way so that, so that way people right. can get both sides of the story uh here's here's one thing that i do feel strongly though is that i think for every snap i think 
any snap Aaron Rodgers does not get this preseason should go to Zach Wilson because I see zero value in giving Tim Boyle snaps. And it's just like, if you're, and I don't know if this is actually the plan and I'm, even if it is, I'm skeptical, it's going to work. But if the plan is to like try and develop Zach Wilson for two years down the line, this is going to be the only game action he gets unless there's an injury, which you don't want. So, and I also feel like, you know, yeah, maybe he plays badly, but that'll be, that story will be over in a day. He should destroy like backup and third team defenses. Cause I mean, as you know, as shaky as Zach Wilson's been, he's not going to be, he's going to be facing vanilla defenses. He's going to be facing guys who are practice squad level players. Uh, he's got 22 games of starting experience. But this is the type of situation that's like tailor made for like good production. And then the story right. becomes, well, Zach Wilson looks great. So I just think there's a lot of elements that tell me like, okay, if Aaron Rodgers isn't playing, every snap should go to Zach Wilson. Yeah, I agree with that. I think especially now, you know, Chris Traveler isn't there. So there's only two quarterbacks and, you know, it's Tim Boyle who, you know, there isn't much to develop with him at this point of his career. Uh, as you said, if you're trying to develop Zach Wilson, these are the best opportunities he's going to get to do that. But, you know, like we just said with practice, it's so much different than a real game that it's hard to truly develop in those situations. So these reps are, are very important for Zach's development. If you are, if they are as serious about the long-term future as they claim to be. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, maybe not entire games. I think it makes sense to, you know, relieve them a little bit at the end, just to, tone the injury risk down because he is the direct backup. And as much as Zach Wilson struggled last year, I think there's still a pretty big gap between him and Tim Boyle. If you look at the way the Boyle's produced in his career. So uh, I wouldn't play him entire games personally, but like entire half plus maybe a little bit into the second, which, which I think that is a value as well to be able to come out of halftime and get some reps in because that that's a dynamic you need to be ready for as a starting quarterback, you know, halftime adjustments, which, you know, obviously you're not going to see that in the preseason really, but just the whole mental dynamic of going to halftime, making personal adjustments and coming out after that and continuing, continuing to play. So I could see some reps into the third quarter for him. So, so I agree. I think getting him as many reps as possible over these next few games is, is going to be huge. I wish they'd not brought in Tim Boyle and brought in somebody who was a little bit better because I think that it is kind of conflicting. Yeah. I think it's kind of like conflicting, like saying like he's going to be our backup, but we're also trying to develop him. Like, and I think back to like last year after they benched him, it seems to me like these two things are kind of at odds with each other because I don't think it benefited yeah. Zach yeah. Wilson to go back in those games against Detroit and Jacksonville. And it's like it's like I just want him to like not have to worry about playing, just like focus on the you know practicing, focus without the pressure of ever needing to play. And like what you said, and I'm going to, you know, we'll turn this, this is kind of like, we're trying to turn it as this first take because we're debating a little bit here, but uh, not really. Uh, but, you know, there is that <laughs> element where he's the backup, where he's like the backup quarterback. So you do have to like worry, is he going to get injured? And I don't think like, I mean, you still worry if he's going to get injured as the third quarterback because, you know, that would take away practice reps he'd get on, uh, you know, on the practice field. But you would you wouldn't have that element if you had somebody else as the number two quarterback for this team. You would just be able to say, okay, this season's all about developing Zach. So I think that that's one area where I would kind of critique what the Jets did this offseason. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think that adding a you know true backup quarterback that you could trust was something that they should have done this offseason and they weren't able to accomplish it. The guy who just signed with uh, Detroit, Teddy Bridgewater, I think was a good option for that. He lingered throughout the offseason. Um, and then there were some other, you know, mid-tier 
you know, low level starting quarterbacks, maybe high level backups that got signed throughout this offseason, and they didn't play on that for whatever reason. So, yeah, I, I agree. It is kind of contradictory the way they've treated their plans for Wilson this offseason. Because if you truly believe that you can fix him, develop him to take over for Rodgers down the line, which now is looking like could potentially be not even next year, but in two seasons from now, potentially 25 if Rodgers plays as long as it looks like he might. Um, you need to allow him to reset and get that time to develop. And the potential of throwing him back out there while he's still in the midst of making some of these transformations that with his mechanics and his mentality, his mindset as a quarterback, like these are things that can't be fixed overnight or in one season. So it's, you know, it does feel like it kind of contradicts to have him as not just your long-term project that you're developing, but also the guy who is the first backup if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt to take over a team that's trying to compete for a championship. So I do think they should have gotten a, you know, a, a quarterback who's not only better than Wilson, just for the sake of trying to win games, but also for the sake of developing Wilson, give him that opportunity to just, just like you said, sit back, focus on what he needs to do, not have to worry about being ready for playing in potential games this year. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. August is here, and you know what that means. It's the official start of fantasy football season. And Michael and I are going to chat about why Garrett Wilson could be a great fantasy option for you in a little bit. But you need to get championship ready for your home league. So try out best ball on Underdog Fantasy. All you have to do is one live snake draft. No waivers, no trades. Underdog sets your best lineup every week. Try it out with Underdog Best Ball Mania Tournament. This is the largest fantasy football contest of all time. It's back even bigger with $15 million in total prizes up for grabs, including an absurd $3 million going to the winner. And last year, the winner drafted their team in July. So don't wait around. You know, it's, it's August already. Last year's winner drafted in July. So get a move on it. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store or sign up with promo code Locked On to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Again, that's fantasy Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. All right, let me lob you a softball. How good is Garrett Wilson going to be this year? I, I, I think he has legitimate potential to lead the league in receiving yards. I, I really do, just because of the floor that he set last year is – insane i mean the numbers speak for themselves in terms of getting over well over a thousand with the four quarterbacks how many receptions he had but in addition to that just the targets that he drew the fact that he was able to quickly establish himself as the guy and and be able to get more targets than Corey davis tyler conklin uzama all the players he's competing against the running backs and make it clear like yeah i'm the guy even though he was a rookie who started the first week you know as a you know, the third or fourth receiver didn't even start the first game. Um, and then you just look at his film throughout the season, see how many throws he got missed on, how many great routes in which the ball didn't even get thrown to him. And you add that on top of what he already produced, despite all of that, and you bring in Aaron Rodgers, I I can see him putting up an elite season this year, you know, to the degree of competing with anyone in the league. I truly do think he has that sort of upside. Put yourself in Aaron Rodgers' shoes and think about what you were throwing throwing to in Green Bay last year, and now you're coming to the Jets and you can throw to Garrett Wilson. How happy do you think he is? I mean, he's probably thrilled. And I, I know, like, you know, some of the critics will point to, oh, well, Lazard and Cobb are still here. It's the same unit. But the thing I think that is appealing is that, yeah, he still has those guys, but they're lower on the depth chart 
than they were last year. Like Lazard was the number one target in terms of the total targets for the season uh, on the Packers last year. But now he comes in and Garrett Wilson's taking that role by far. And Lazard can go back to where he was uh, when Devontae Adams was there. And he's only getting those occasional targets. And he was a lot more efficient in that role. So I think Lazard is going to be more effective than he was last year. And, uh, you know, you add everything else on top of that. I think the Jets have running backs that can produce in the passing game, which is key with Aaron Rodgers because he's, especially when he played under Nathaniel Hackett, loved to target the running backs. And I think I like the upside in the passing game of the backfield. Uh, Conklin is a guy who I think his film shows a lot of untapped potential last year, a lot of good routes that weren't capitalized on. I think Rodgers is going to get the most out of him. And Corey Davis, I think, is a guy who – you look at his career, he's only had one season with like competent quarterback play. And that was when Tannehill played that full season in 2020. And Corey put up big numbers as the number two uh, to A.J. Brown. Now he gets to play a similar role, and we'll see if he's two or three. But, you know, complimenting Garrett Wilson, finally having competent quarterback play. I think he's another guy whose numbers have maybe been uh, – maybe undersold his true level of play because of the quarterback issues the past couple of years. So uh, – all around, I think it is a very a very good unit. I hesitate to say great because there are so many so many teams in the league that have that one two punch at receiver with superstars that the Jets can't quite match. So you wonder about the depth if Garrett, Garrett Wilson does go down. But I think it's a very well rounded group that has a lot of depth to it. It's funny because you mentioned two guys right there. You mentioned uh, Conklin, who is probably the most criticized player by me on this show. Who I just can't, I just, just can't figure out the tight end. So hopefully you're right about that. And uh, look, nothing would make me happier than Tyler Conklin going in and having a good season. Uh, you know, you may remember Michael, the, the Ryan Griffin days. Conklin is kind of my yeah. new Ryan Griffin guy. Um, but I, I'm with you on Corey. I actually am with you on Corey Davis. I, I think he's, I was actually interested. You're, I was going to, I was about to follow up and ask your take on Corey Davis because I felt like I was kind of like the last believer in Corey Davis that like he's, I don't think he's been as bad as people's made him out to be the last two years. I think it's been disappointing. I don't think he's played up to the contract and obviously the struggles to stay on the field have been there, but I feel like people kind of forget the good moments with Corey Davis and they just, they, they focus on the bad moments. They focus on the drops. There have been some good Corey Davis games. And I, like you said, I feel like this could be a pretty good year for Corey Davis, especially in the contract year. Yeah, I think how it works a lot of times with new players on a team is that first impression is so important. And then you always have to like, uh, like it's very crucial how you start off and then you got to kind of work back from that. And so for Corey Davis, he look, he got off to a really bad start. He had some big drops in his first few games. Uh, I, I mean, actually, that Panthers game, I think he had two. Yeah, he had two touchdowns in that first game. So he actually got off to a good start. But then after that, he got on to the bad side with a bunch of drops, especially in that Patriots game. And that's kind of what he's had to work back from. And because he's been off the field a lot, he hasn't been able to fully rebound. But, I mean, he had a lot of clutch catches last year in that Steelers game. Uh, I mean, the Browns touchdown was a blown coverage. But uh, in the Bengals game, even though they didn't come back, he had some catches in that one. Um, Dolphins game, he had a big catch. So, you know, he, he was clutch last year. He came up in big moments. And I think he just brings an element that some other players don't bring with on this offense, which is a you know big bodied target over the middle who can, you know, win on a dig, win on a post, any of those in breaking routes and just be able to box out his man and go get it. And that's something that I don't think 
the Jets' previous quarterbacks have taken advantage of well enough. They haven't haven't been great at you know giving receivers chances to make plays. And I think that's something that Rodgers is really good at is just putting the ball in a spot where a big bodied player can just go up and get it. And so I think he's really going to maximize that with Corey Davis. And I think the other thing with Davis was just, I don't think the expectations were aligned with the reality of Corey Davis, because when when he signed, I remember people were like, Oh, he's got to be the number one receiver. And I said, look at the contract. He's not really being paid to be a go-to guy on this team. And he's not, he's not, I don't think he has to be like an 1100 yard receiver to justify the deal. I think if he's a good number two receiver behind Garrett Wilson, or, you know, maybe even a third guy behind Lazard, you can say that this is, you know, a guy who's paid, who's uh, worth what he's being paid. Yeah. I, I feel like the expectations were maybe inflated a little bit because the numbers he put up with the Titans in that last season were, I mean, they were pretty wild. He was, in terms of what he was doing per play, like his yards per target. And all that it was in his yards for reception, his catch rate, like he was maybe the best receiver in the league that year. But it was, you know, in 2020, in hindsight, now we've kind of seen this that that was an outlier season for pretty much the entire league with passing numbers and offense overall. Which, you know, maybe it was because the lack of crowds that made things easier for the offense or it just being a weird year in general. But all the offensive numbers were up that year, and also he's playing in Tennessee with. It was a great environment. They had Derrick Henry drawing players into the box. He had A.J. Brown next to him. Tannehill had a great season that year. So he had a lot of positive things going for him that really inflated his numbers that year. And it should have been expected that, okay, he's not going to quite be that going forward when he's averaging like you know 75 yards a game, 10, you know, 17 yards of reception, whatever it was. Um, but, you know, even if you account for that, telling it down a little bit, he could still be an effective player with just, using a size to make catches in big spots, which we've seen flashes of, but you need better quarterback play to see it consistently. So how do you see the hierarchy in this Jets passing game going? Because I think there's a lot of question of who's going to be the second guy behind. Everybody knows Garrett Wilson's going to be the number one guy, but how do you see it going after Garrett Wilson? Who's two, who's three, who's four? You know, you can incorporate the tight ends in there. Give Give me your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely Garrett Wilson number one. I think it's going to be a pretty dominant share of the targets. Like, if you look at Devontae Adams and some of his later Packers years, I I really feel like it could be something like that because just looking at the way Garrett Wilson performed last year and the number of different ways he showed he can win and make plays, I think he is going to be a guy who Rodgers really leans on to that Devontae Adams sort of extent. Uh and especially because the Jets don't really have a second guy who's like, all right, here's the number two. You also have to feed this guy as well. It's more just a versatile group of guys who all of their particular skills. And you're going to want to put all those guys in positions where let's throw them the ball in spots that make sense for them. We don't have to force anyone besides Garrett Wilson. So I do think we could see that type of thing where, you know, Garrett last year was over 150 targets. I think I'm looking at the 21 Packers. Devontae Adams led with 169. Then Aaron Jones was second with 65. So maybe not to that degree of separation, but I think potentially close to that. But uh, I think Corey Davis is in that mix. Alan Lazard, Tyler Conklin. I would, wouldn't sleep on Conklin getting that number two spot in terms of targets just because I think he'll eat up some checkdowns in the flat and things like that. So that could pump up his targets. Um, and then with Corey Davis and Lazard, I feel like both of them might be more big play type of guys in terms of like, you know, Davis, I think will will hit a lot of intermediate 
dig routes, posts, things like that, some outs. And then Lazard, I think, will be a, one of the top deep threat type of players. Red zone, I think, will be big. So um, I really feel like Garrett Wilson's going to dominate. And then besides that, we're going to see the rest of the unit kind of utilized in ways where they're getting targeted in spots that make sense. Um, so I would say it's between those three, between Conklin, Lazard, and Davis. I mean, who do you lean to as potentially being that number two guy? I mean, what what's your order? Your order past Garrett Wilson, would you say? I think I think Davis is going to be number two. I think yeah. Lazard's going to be three. I think four might be a running back. So, but you know something, I'm really glad what you said there because everybody always I go get this complaint all the time. You're too negative on Conklin. This podcast is too negative on Conklin. There, you heard somebody just said good things about Conklin on the podcast. Maybe it wasn't me, go. but you finally <laughs> heard somebody say something good about Conklin on the podcast. So, enough just with read that. the no transcript. More, no more, There's no, Conklin positivity in there. Don't, you don't no, know who said it, but it was said. No more complaining about about Conklin on this podcast. Um, I think, like I said, like I, I'm kind of like. I thought I was like the last Corey Davis defender out there. I think he's better, a lot better than people realize. I'm not as high on Lazard as a lot of people, but I think if he's like your third I'm guy. With you, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'm definitely not a huge Lazard fan. Yeah. I mean, I understand why they did it. You know, it's like, I, I think I referred to it at the time as like the Aaron Rodgers tax, where it's like, you're bringing in Aaron Rodgers. You got to like bring in the guys he wants to bring in. But, uh, and I think, again, I think if he's your third receiver, you're in fine shape. And then I think it may be like, you know, they may, like you, I mean, you mentioned it. This is something I, I looked at a few years ago. Is like Aaron Rodgers. Maybe it's just like he likes to check it down, but he incorporates the running game and the running backs in the passing game a lot. So that may just be because he makes the right reads, and if it's not there, he doesn't force it and he just checks it down. But I think you know one of the running backs, maybe you know maybe it'll be Brees. Uh, you know, I, I think I think you'll see a decent share of targets for the running backs. Yeah, the running backs were huge. Like I said, Aaron Jones in that twenty-one season was second on the whole team in targets. Um, so I could definitely see it. I I feel like if Brees were 100% healthy, we knew he was good to go. I would I would be confident in saying he would be up there. I just hesitate to say he'll get a lot specifically because I just want to see how the recovery plays out. But the running back unit in total, I think we will see a lot of those targets. And the reason you mentioned, I think, is why they get a lot of targets. It's because Rodgers is a guy who is very as aggressive as he will be. He's also very willing to check the ball down. And that's why he throws so few interceptions because you know if if what he wants isn't there he will not hesitate to check that ball down so the running backs will get a lot of catches underneath and chances to make plays after the catch so i think whether it's hall whether it's knight i think is a candidate to get a lot of targets he looked pretty good catching passes underneath last year um i I do think we'll see a lot of those those running backs and in terms of lazard i think uh, like i said earlier i feel like he'll benefit from a reduced role compared to last year. I don't, I don't think he was suit to the volume of targets he got last year. He he was a lot more efficient and productive when he was getting like, you know, his targets, those first three years he played with the Packers were 52 and 16 games, 46 and 10 and 60 and 15 last year. He was up to a hundred targets in 15 games. I don't think that's who he is. I think with the smaller die of targets, like throw him some go balls, target him in the red zone, some slants on third down, let him use his size and, you know, don't trust him too much in terms of consistent winning on routes. I think you can get good production out of him. So I think hopefully that's the way he can contribute this year. I think too much of Lazard isn't a great thing. 
Well, that's all for our show today. Thanks so much Mike, to my good friend, Michael Nania, for joining us. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you like the podcast, give it a five-star review if you're listening on a podcast source or a big thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Those things help us out, help other, other Jets fans find the show. Enjoy your Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.